At 32, I thought I was a marriage expert. I really did. Uh, had I ever been married? No. Uh, did I have friends that were married and I learned a lot of lessons, um, what to do from them maybe? Yeah. I had also read three books. If I'm honest, uh, if we drill a little bit deeper, I bought three books. I thought uh, I was an expert in this until I actually got married. Let me tell you a story. For nine years in my house in Texas, I had come home from the office, uh, opened the garage door, pulled the car inside, gone through the, the door that gets me into the laundry room, set my keys on top of the dryer that was right there, proceeded down the hallway, and then hung a hard right turn. When you hang a hard right turn, it wasn't a big house, it, it, hang a hard right turn, you come right into the kitchen that doubles as living room slash rec room slash everything, and there's a little half wall right there. I would go into that larger space, see the dogs, I had two dogs, and I would let them out. And when I let them out, I would come back in, uh, maybe grab something to drink, grab something to eat, pass the half wall, and then go into where the couch was, snag a spot on the couch, turn the TV on, and see what game was on television or what games were going to be on television. This is what I did for eight to nine straight years. Turns out, I got married. 32, it happened. This marriage expert got married. Um, Chelsea's awesome, she's fantastic, but one day, I kind of forgot that she was there. Here's what happened. I parked the car in the garage, go through the door, set the keys on the dryer, go down the hallway, hang a quick right, opens up and in the kitchen, rec room, everything else area. I let the dogs out, come back inside, walk through the kitchen, past that little half wall that I've walked past for the last eight to nine years, grabbed a spot on the couch, sat down, turned the TV on, and I hear something in the kitchen. Again, it's a small, it's five feet away. And this girl looks over the half wall at me and says, kind of smiling, kind of not, oh, hey, it's me, your wife. And I remember seeing Chelsea's face. This was probably a week into being married. And I went, I'm not the expert that I thought I was. And Jesus, in that moment, started to truly define what marriage was for me. Redefine it in so many ways. Lost in the story of the Good Samaritan is the lawyer, this expert in the law. And his job, his only job, is to know the Jewish law backwards and forwards. He is an expert. And as an expert, he shows up in this story of the Good Samaritan, and he asks Jesus questions. And his questions show us what the Lord's definition of being a neighbor really is. This term neighbor, Jesus defines once and for all. Let's see it, here we go. When you jump in, and we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10. So if wherever you are, find your Bible, you're gonna need it. We are drilling into it, Luke chapter 10. And we'll start, and I'll start reading in verse 25. You've heard the story, but hear it anew. And behold, a lawyer, that's our expert, stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you're gonna live. But he, our lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? To which Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So like a wise Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, we'll get to that, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers. And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I'll argue it this way. When we, you and I, behold the beauty of Jesus, when we behold him, only then can we truly behold our neighbors. When you and I truly behold Jesus and get just a a whiff of who he really is, a nugget of who he is, only then can you and I love our neighbors well. That's what this passage teaches. It's Jesus first and then everything flows out of him. Let's pray together and we'll jump right in. Father, we love you. Uh, Today we give you all the glory. Would you show us exactly what you would have for us in this story? We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When you get to verse 25, it's really, really cool. And he starts out this way. The lawyer, the expert, challenges the author. I love it. Scholars put it this way. Uh, The expert in the law challenges the guy who wrote the law. How do you think that's gonna end up? Jesus puts it back on him. How do you think you get eternal life? And the lawyer in that moment busts out an incredibly popular verse in Jewish culture. It's called the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And Jesus' response to the lawyer's response is, nailed it, that's exactly right. But if you think it's works, it's not. In Jesus' response, he makes it clear if you really wanna live, it's found as a heart issue not a do issue. See, the lawyer in this moment is going, okay, what shall I do to get eternal life? That's an incredible question. It's the right question. What do I gotta do to get eternal life? And Jesus goes, you gotta know me. If we back up, hit the rewind button, you're gonna get context in verse 21 through 24 of this same chapter where if you wanna know the Father, the scripture teaches you've gotta know the Son, 
And so leading into this passage, Jesus is not advocating, do this, do this, and do this, and you're gonna get eternal life. He's not saying that. He's saying, know me, know me. I've already done the work. I'm headed to do the work on the cross, and it will be done for you. You just need to believe in me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's great stuff. Daryl Bach says it this way. The issue is not action. The issue is of the heart. Furthermore, when Jesus says, quote, do this and you will live, he is saying relationship to God is what gives life. Relationship, Daryl Bach says, to God is what gives life. My question to you this morning is, do you have that relationship? Jim Shattuck says it this way, nobody oozes into the kingdom. You've got to have a decision that you've made where you ask forgiveness of your sin, you surrender your life, and in the most beautiful, uh, just complete exchange right there, Jesus comes in and with power of the Spirit takes up residence here. It's not what you can do, y'all. It's what Jesus has already done. When we behold him and become full of him, only then can we really love our neighbor. The lawyer responds to Jesus' answer and says this in 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? One verse at a time, here we go. Jesus has really, for me, as with marriage previously, redefined this term, and this is really the only true term. Neighbor to me my whole life has always been whoever was 1,000 steeplechase drive and 1,004 steeplechase drive. In other words, the people next to the house where I grew up That's who we called neighbors. I could give you their names right now. Jesus says, yes, that's good and true. But the truth of this passage that we're gonna see in this parable is that Jesus goes, everybody is your neighbor. Not just the people close, but everybody is your neighbor. Let me put it to you this way. Are you made in the image of God? Are you made in the image of God? If so, you're my neighbor Cool, nice to meet you. You are my neighbor. In other words, my job following Jesus is to help look after you and vice versa. We continue, says it this way. You know what? Uh, When we look at neighbor in this definition, it crosses every party line. It crosses every socioeconomic line. And yes, it crosses every racial divide possible. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel plunders these lines of division and goes across and says healing is available for all in the beautiful, matchless, perfect name of Jesus. Jesus continues it this way. He says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you this parable. And he phrases it this way. Man was going down Jerusalem to Jericho. Quick story on that. It's really 16 and a half miles to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. And here's what I've learned about that road. In studying about it, it is a road that you and I don't want to go down ever. In fact, it is incredibly rocky terrain, not easy to walk up and down at all or to get in those days your animal up and down at all. And it was so rocky and so hilly that there were these caves and spots on the side where folks who did not have the best of intentions would hide out. And what we see is there is a Jewish victim here. And to call him a Jewish victim is super important because we've gotta know this. It's a massive part of the story. 
You've got a Jewish victim here who's been beaten, scripture says half dead. And we get this story that unpacks this parable of three people come and say, really, maybe nothing to him except for one. First person that enters the story that we read is the priest. A religious leader sees this uh, brother of his, this fellow Jew of his, and says, I'm good. And scripture plainly teaches that he makes his way all the way around this hurting, half-dead person and goes to the other side. Second person in, Levite, also a religious leader, says, nah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I see you, I see you, I see you, and I'm going this way, and I'm gonna go this way, and I'm gonna just as this other guy did, and I'm out. First person, religious leader, out. Second person, religious leader, out. Third person, the enemy of the first two people and also the enemy of the dude that's half dead right here. Jews would call the Samaritans traitors, half-breeds, not just bitter rivals, but there is a divisive line here that has existed for a long time and you don't see this happen ever. In fact, it's almost as if the Samaritan heard this thought, know the rules, don't go near him, and it didn't matter because the Samaritan shows up and what we learn is the Samaritan shows up and does six things to help this man. One, he goes over and binds his wounds. Some scholars say he got his parts of his own clothing and bound up this man's wounds. Two, he got the wine that he had on him with the alcohol that was in it and antiseptic for the wounds to kind of clean them. Then you've got a balm that he put on it. Next, he comes close and he gives up his own ride. He places this half-dead man on this animal and then takes him to an inn. Get this, tells the innkeeper, the owner, here's two denarii. Take care of them till I return. Two denarii is good enough for three to three and a half weeks, most scholars agree. He did six things to this rival, this enemy, that surpassed everything that had been seen. The religious leaders, nope, not gonna go near him. They missed out on mercy, but this guy got it. This good Samaritan got it. Crazy stuff. The man comes up to Jesus. It's crazy. Let's get to verse 35. Excuse me, let's go 36. Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And our lawyer, our expert says this, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What's crazy in this moment is that in this moment, this lawyer could have used the name but instead only said the one in this moment. What I found that is so important right now is that Jesus is calling his definition of neighbor also extends to possibly, yes, absolutely, in fact, your worst enemy or plural enemies. In fact, you're supposed to go out of your way to do maybe even six things to make sure they survive and thrive and go above and beyond. 
I will argue this thought all day until the day that I die, and I think it's so true. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are supposed to love our enemies until we no longer call them by that name. You and I are supposed to love our enemies until we no longer call them by that name. Enemies no longer. And you can totally go in this moment, hey Garrett, okay, I get it, that's a statement, it makes sense, I understand that's the call of Jesus, but how in the world do I do it? You don't know the story that I know. I may may not know your exact story, but I know if you're a Christian who your king is and what he's calling us to do as a body of believers. But you're right, it's a fair question, how? We've gotta move from statement to practice. So it goes from love your enemies until you no longer call that by name, call them by that name, to pray for your enemies until you no longer call them by that name. In other words, we have to do as believers in this moment what the expert lawyer refused. You gotta name them. You gotta humanize them. And in so doing, by using that enemy's name in prayer, in your own time, wherever you are, you unlock the power of the spirit. And some of you, and myself included, by the way, I'm walking through this right now. Bitterness has crept in here and that will keep your heart from wanting to explode with the gospel to everybody you know. But by Jesus' command, if everybody's a neighbor, your enemy's included in this. It's a complete new definition from Jesus. You're asking me to pray for my enemy when I can't even stand to think about him. Yes, Jesus is calling us to that, to go above and beyond. Why? Because the gospel's worth it. And when you start working out that bitterness that's been in your heart and the bitterness that's been in mine and the spirit starts having his way in here, things change. Our hearts change And instead of hating them and putting them over here, we then try to find ways to actually get them the good news that there's a king who's come for them. How do you do that? You pray for your enemies until you no longer call them by that name. You get alone with Jesus and he starts doing what only he can do. And it's crazy and I totally believe it. And for a while through college, I didn't believe this was true, that he would free me from this bitterness of enemies. And he's doing it and he's gonna continue to do it in our lives. He's good, but it's gotta start with only Jesus. And it comes back to this, when we behold him, we observe, we sit with him, we spend time with him, Only when we spend time with him will we be neighbors in the way that Jesus defines it. And the way that Jesus defines it is the way we have to define it. He comes for us. May we behold him and then truly behold them. Let's be incredible neighbors. If you're there wherever you are, and you're like, I, I've never had that moment with Jesus. I always thought somehow, some way, I'd get into the kingdom. How do I do that? 50% right now of millennials worldwide, the largest generation in the history of the world, believe they can do whatever they want and somehow they're gonna get to heaven, 
The truth of the gospel is that you gotta have Jesus to go to heaven. It's true. If you wanna talk to somebody on our staff, text CONNECT to 623-623, and we will meet you in those spaces. We'll call you, we'll talk to you. We are here. We want you to know Jesus, because when you know Jesus, he unlocks his beauty in your soul, and the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to go out anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Behold him, and you'll better behold them too. Be a neighbor. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son. That he breaks down every dividing line, every barrier, so that you get all the glory in the whole world. Father, forgive me where I haven't been after your name. I've been after my own name and I've rested in. I will have these enemies the rest of my life and that's just how it is. It's not true. Your gospel topples that idea. Free us from bitterness and help us to run after these enemies until we no longer call them by that name. In Jesus' name, amen.